All right, there we go. So we are on the tail end of our series on racism and reconciliation, and there has been a plot, there has been a theme throughout the series, just to provide a little context before our guests come up. Um, we started out with a, a vision from the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, on God's desire to bring all of the nations and peoples to the earth, in the earth, together, in unity, as his, as his family, as his kingdom. Um, and then we looked at some historical aspects in where the church throughout uh, primarily American history is what we're looking at, um, has, not fulfilled, has not fulfilled that vision. And then we kind of took a deep dive into a couple of historical realities that still have an effect today on our experience. And, and one was the, the, the migrations from the south into the northern cities and all of the challenges that occurred from an economic and housing and political and, and work. Uh, and racial standpoint, and how those effects still uh, linger with us today in our in our, in our urban environments. And uh, then we had uh, Pastor Tyler St. Clair from Detroit come and just share a little bit about their efforts in, in the city of Detroit, one of those northern cities. Then we looked at some of the historical aspects of, of mass incarceration and how that's had an effect uh, disproportionately on people of color. And then we had uh, Justin Terrell in uh, executive director of the Minnesota Justice Research Center to kind of share his experience and some of, the, some of his knowledge and understanding. Um, and to answer the question, what, what should Christians be concerned about uh, in regard to criminal justice here in the state of Minnesota? Um, from there, Lawrence uh, presented a vision of, of what biblical righteousness and biblical justice is and how all of us are called to, to righteousness and the work of justice to bring a restoration of righteousness in this world. That's, that's our calling, that's our daily calling upon our lives. And last week we had uh, Professor uh, Dr. Uh, George Yancey come and present his vision of what he calls mutual responsibility and how everybody has a responsibility to work towards towards justice. And so today, as you can kind of tell, we, we've wanted to use the tail end of the series to look at um, what is going on, what can we do. And so uh, Corey and Mariah Dean graciously accepted my invitation to come. We've talked a little bit about the Man Up Club. Why don't you two come on up? And uh, we're, I'm just going to interview them today. Uh, they started the Man Up Club a few years ago, and we're going to let them tell us about that. But it's a significant effort here uh, in the Twin Cities to work justice and righteousness into this, into this world. So I've prepared some questions that I sent them beforehand. And uh, we'll just see how this goes, and then we'll have our usual Q&A time at the end. Corey and Mariah, thank you for coming this morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I got some water there for you if you need it. Mariah, this one's live for you. There you go. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, our pleasure. I'm not sure if this is this on? Can you hear me? Okay. All right. So, as a church, we've been aware of the Man Up Club for a little over a year, and some of us have attended some events. 
um, and watch some of your videos. Um, but I, I think it would be helpful for the whole church to hear from you guys directly about the Man Up Club. What is it? What is its mission? When did it start? So the Man Up Club started uh, in 2012 um, as a after-school program in North St. Paul High School. Uh, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization in 2015. Um, the, the mission of the Man Up Club is basically to develop young boys uh, into holistic young men of character. Um, when I started the Man Up Club, I was a student advocate for about 400 uh, African-American students, um, basically working with administration and the school to assess the needs of the students. And what I realized was that uh, African-American males faced a significant uh, amount of challenges in school. Um, and so I wanted to help them navigate you know, the system and looked at some of the issues that they were having in school and um, you know, for example, uh, the graduation rate was about 60%, and so a lot of the young men would, you know, be engaged in school and kind of be camouflaged as if uh, they were doing all the things that they needed to do and was receiving all of the services that they needed to receive, uh, only up until it was time to graduate, and then you would see uh, this long list of, of young men who were uh, told that there was not, they were not going to graduate. Um, and then you had situations where, um, you know, when, when young men get into altercations at school, as opposed to it being dealt with just the administration, uh, you would find that some of those issues were being referred downtown to the police, and then they became not just an educational issue or a behavioral issue, but they became more of a civic issue. Uh, where some of these young men would get records that will follow them the rest of their lives, not knowing, um, you know, when they made those mistakes in school, that those would be some of those dire consequences. Um, and then we had young men, uh, when I would walk through the halls of the school, and you will find this in many public schools, when you walk through the halls of the school, uh, if there is a detention center, um, one of the interesting um, things about school is there about 4,000 4, kids in the school. Um, and the population for African-American is very minimal. And when you walk past a detention room, say for example, if this was a school and this was the detention center, that detention center would be filled with African-American young males, which is nothing but a reflection of the criminal justice system. Uh, and so I kind of noticed, started noticing some of those parallels, and then I started to assess uh, some of the needs that the kids were missing at home, uh, and you know, found out that 80% of the young men who were in our program were fatherless, uh, which was a big deal. And so we just had to really address some of those issues. And so, uh, you know, as as I done that, we began to meet after school, talk with the young men, uh, develop relationships over a period of time. Um, and we'd help them with their homework, give them some accountability, uh, build relationships, um, establish rapport with uh, administration, and we were, we were able to just help them through some of those issues and ultimately end up raising some of the graduation rates and uh, decreasing some of the in-school suspensions and out-of-school suspensions and mm -hmm. uh, helping kids move on to, to bigger and better things. And so from that, 
um, we just decided that we, we, we basically had what is, you know, what I refer to kind of as a, as a proof of concept or what have you for the Man Up Club. And we were exclusive to St. Paul High School at that time and we moved on um, and incorporated, made it a nonprofit organization so we could partner with local churches, uh, businesses, other nonprofit organizations and other schools. And so that's how we developed. Okay. So why did you pick that high school or, or, or what drew you there? My, first of all, my kids went there. Okay. Um, and and I, I knew the principal uh, there, and we were really immersed in that school district. Um, and so we were obviously, you know, concerned about the welfare uh, of our children, and we wanted to be able to have a voice. And we would talk with our kids about their experiences. Uh, sports was a big deal. Um, you know, I, we, we both played, um, you know, sports, and that was big in our family, and our kids would participate in a lot of extracurricular activities and so you know we were just hands-on we didn't want to be and, and, and for me it's, it's it's really about I think you get the greatest value when you're transparent with people so people can grow and you just have to have some hard conversations there's a, a thought process that African-American parents don't go to the schools to support their children and so we we didn't want to be cast in that light Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to be active. We wanted to know what was going on. Um, and so that's how we ended up getting in that school and become very, uh, being very involved. And um, it's interesting because I, I, I vividly remember coming in as a black male to check on my children. And the response from the administration felt as if that was this big, great thing. And to me, it's just me being a father to my children and wanting to look after them. So you, you didn't start out with the idea of, hey, let's create this nonprofit organization for, to focus on helping black young men. It was, we're going to be concerned and involve parents. That, that's what started, it seems like, huh? Yeah, just being a concerned parent and, and yeah, like I said, as, as far as, you know, assessing the needs and recognizing... Um, the disparity, um, you know, and then, you know, that being coupled with my own personal experiences. Um, and I didn't make that connection until a long time ago that, um, you know, I'm a product of the Man Up Club and didn't even know it uh, because I didn't know my father. Uh, I was one of those young men who didn't have a relationship with my father, grew up in a single parent home. I was one of those young men who grew up in extreme poverty, um, you know, and I had goals and ambitions. Um, and I was also one of those young men who took the wrong path and one of those young men who made bad decisions. Um, but then I had a mentor. I had a couple of them who guided me at pivotal points in my life. And I didn't realize that con connection and that that seed was planted as a child much later until I started the Man Up Club. And, probably was sitting in an interview like this and then the light bulb went on that, oh, that's me. I'm helping, I'm helping guys just like myself. And if I can, George, yeah, good morning, yeah. everyone. Um, very nice to be with all of you uh, this morning and some of you again um, the, the next morning. So um, I have to piggyback on that because yeah, I've heard absolutely. him tell this story many, many, many times. Um, Corey and I are uh, longtime friends, longtime uh, partners, uh, married, um, parents of a family, bl blended family of five. 
Uh, but as you tell your story, I have to share as well, I too uh, am one without a father, um, a natural biological father. Um, grew up with a dad, um, a father who came in, married my mother, raised me, adore him very, very much. But if uh, the man who I call bio dad were to walk past the street today, I would not know who he is. Um, and so as Corey was called into this work, uh, with starting with our own children first, and you talk about the story of parents being plugged in at home. We know what's going on at home. We may not, as a demographic of people, show up at the PTO meetings. Never been one for PTO meetings. It's just not my cultural uh, uh, fit. I just, I don't like them. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're disconnected from our children. Uh, my family, my mother's family, my father's uh, adoptive father's family, education, A1. It's number one. It's not a, an option to do. You just do it. You go to school, you make the grade, you, you, you show up, you perform. Um, if you're lucky, if you're blessed, you get to participate in athletics, which was a big time thing for me growing up, for Corey growing up, uh, all the way up to the D1 and semi-pro level. And then also now our children who are going through that path, uh, collegiate and last one in high school now. Um, so it's interesting how our stories have parallel through the years before we knew one another, coming to know each other, raising a family, still being plugged into what's happening to our kids at school, we're not there with them. But even some of those bringing, um, bringing their friends home and keeping an ear mm. to be tuned to what's really going on, what's going on in the, in the basketball program um, with some of the, uh, some athletes as opposed to other types of athletes, what's really going on and how can we help and how can we influence? Thank you. So, um, you know, I think I've mentioned a few times, uh, is, you, you both are um, excelling in your fields. You, you are a, a Grammy-nominated Christian hip-hop artist, and you both own a, a commercial construction management company. But I think, Mariah, you're kind of the lead on that, aren't you? Um, parents of five children. So I, I imagine that you led very busy uh, personal and professional lives prior to the Man Up Club. Um, what, well, I mean, we've kind of already talked about it, um, but what was that, that process and that thinking when you both were increasingly realizing we've got to do something here? How, how, what was that conversation like? I mean... It, that's a big thing to take. I mean, you said for, as, as an advocate for 400 students. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's, I mean, it probably took place over a few years. But just tell us a little bit about that process of coming to a place where we're going to do this thing. I think for us, um, let, me, let me talk in terms of um, dreams, goals, and aspirations. Um, me and Mariah met in college at the University of Louisville, uh, I had a lead role in a play, and she was on the technical side. That's actually how we met. Um, what was the play, Corey? Salute to the Black Family. Okay. Very befitting, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we met, and um, we, always, we, we always had goals, and I, you know, I, my thought process was I always wanted to be a business owner. Uh, I always wanted to be a leader. Um, 
And I always wanted to be able to define uh, my own reality. Uh, I didn't want to fit into cookie-cutter approaches to the way in which everybody does things. Um, I understood early on the value of going against the grain and, um, you know, and, and, and even from a biblical perspective, uh, how the scriptures um, talk about, you know, broad is the road to destruction um, and narrow is the way to Christ and what have you. And so that really resonated with me. I always knew that I was different um, and I embraced it, unlike a lot of young people who don't embrace that. And so when I talk with Mariah early on in our 20s, you know, we always had, had these goals and we, we stuck to those. Um, for me, it was important to, to get a degree. Um, Mariah family was big on education. My family wasn't as big on education. Uh, my mother has 16 brothers and sisters. I lived in the South with them. They all worked the cotton fields and my grandfather uh, was a sharecropper. Um, and I had these life experiences at such an early age before I even went to college that you would assume that I was already 65 years old because I have experience in bailing hay and chopping cotton and castrating hogs and building uh, outhouses and all of the, all those sorts of things that you kind of read about, I experience. And so my motivation uh, for going to school and wanting to achieve success was different than most people. Uh, so as we, you know, we begin to have these goals and aspirations and, and we just stuck to them. You know, I, I remember um, having conversations of, of why we should um, go into business for ourselves and we started to understand the economic structure of business. And our goal was to be able to help people. And we realized that, you know, if we continue to work the areas in which we were working, that we were not going to be able to be as effective as, as we needed to be to help people and to be able to build God's kingdom. And so we just be, begin to trust God. Um, and we took a lot of risk. Mm. Uh, and I believe that those risks kind of really paid off uh, for us to be able to go into business with the construction firm. And Mariah, I'm sure Mariah will talk about that, how we started that. Uh, but we started it at a very troublesome place in America um, during the time of the recession where everyone was taking losses and we decided to do, you know, something that was different um, and unorthodox. And I would say, and I have to, I have to piggyback, I've been piggybacking off this man y'all for a long time. <laughs> so I have to piggyback on, on what Corey uh, is talking about here. My view of uh, work, economic, uh, prosperity, wealth, the Bible talks about all of those things, uh, was quite different from Corey's when we met. Um, 25 years ago, um, I'm, I'm a, uh, I call myself a young school soul, but I'm old school trained. Uh, I am the daughter of two military parents, uh, one civil service, uh, retired civil service member now, and one uh, father, uh, stepfather is, is deceased. But my idea of work, economic prosperity is m like much of our grandparents or the older baby boomer generation, you work, for 30 years, you retire, you ride off into the sunset, you put away a penny, put away a dime, and it's all good. And if you're blessed and you're lucky, you're healthy enough to work that long, you're lucky enough to leave something, leave an inheritance to your children. It wasn't until I met Mr. Dean that he said, no, <laughs> 
we won't be following that path. Um, stretch yourself a little bit. Uh, take a little bit of a risk. Uh, work for yourself. Uh, eat in resources just to get to, to that point. Uh, that is our, that's our for-profit business uh, that Corey mentioned. Um, so Eden Resources was started 2008, 2009 in the heart of the recession, much like, uh, a little bit like what we're in now, but it was different then. It was really, really, really different then. Um, financially, the markets had fallen apart. Uh, I was one of 92,000 workers in the state of Minnesota that was laid off and sent home. Uh, at that time, our children were still small, um, middle school, elementary, maybe one starting to get into the, not quite high school, so middle school, uh, elementary school ages. And we needed, Corey and I, we needed to work. We needed to sustain our family. We needed to sustain our home. Uh, and so the Lord um, began to birth something at that particular time in me to say, hey, you're going to do for yourself what you've been doing for other companies for many years. Um, initially, I thought I would go and consult. I quickly realized that I haven't been living long enough to consult anybody on anything. Um, not not uh, 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 sharp enough, tenured enough to even consult my grandmother. But what I could do was work in the same manner. Uh, Biblical Foundation, Eden Resources, the Garden of Eden, the first community, uh, the place in which uh, God commanded man uh, to labor after his and her fall to sin. Uh, so it was a very meaningful place to me, Eden. That name means a lot to me. It means a lot to us. Uh, Corey supported me. He helped me brand it. He helped me vision it. He helped staple the biblical principle behind it. And now all I had to do was go find the work and go do the work. Uh, and that's what we've been doing. Shortly thereafter, what, three, four years uh, after Eden is when the Man Up Club was piloted at North St. Paul High School. And again, uh, Pastor George, that was the uh, kind of familial thing that we needed to do, but God calling, same thing in Corey, God calling him, God birthing something. And then 2015, uh, the organization stapled as a nonprofit to move, to move forward. Um, and we were still continuing to do that work not with prosperity at the height, but just to go out and do work that is needed for people who need it, whether they ask for it or not, uh, whether they're conscious or aware of it or not, whether it's uh, Corey putting himself into that and leading it or affecting him or not. It was just a call of, of the Lord to say, go, and we went, and we're still happy to be, to be moving. So you guys, I mean, you, you both have... Um... Did you both grow up in the church? What, what, um, I mean, it, it, you, you, guys are, you guys came together, it sounds like, with some, some ideas and visions that were biblical in nature. Did you guys grow up? What, what, was, your, what was your backgrounds before you guys met? Great. I was going to ask to start. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just very, because I'll be much briefer than uh, Corey's story is, is really rich. Mine is very deep. Yes, um, uh, Bible family, uh, mother and father's adoptive father's side, very rich in the word. Um, father was a, uh, in the military, but he was a musician. He was a, um, uh, um, oh my goodness, French horn player uh, for the military band and jazz musician for the military jazz band. But when he wasn't jazz banding, when he wasn't marching in the band, he was in the church. He was, he was the pianist and the organist. So we spent a lot of time in the church. Um, 
some time at home, not as much discipleship necessarily in our home proper, some of the home churches that you talk about here, but a great respect for the Lord, praying grandmothers, uh, both sides of the family. So I had a, a very early reverence and understanding of who God was for them. It wasn't until I met Corey that I, I started to learn about who God was for me. And that was really, really a pivotal uh, point in my coming into the Lord and, and my own relationship with Christ. So for me, I, uh, I, I knew about, I knew, I knew that God existed uh, when I was in the third grade. I, I knew of his presence. Um, and I would always think that I was talking to myself, but I was talking to the spirit. And I remember uh, one day in the third grade, I decided that I was gonna go to church. And I lived in the country on the dirt road. And I remember walking down that, that road and I saw this church, because every time I walked by it, I would hear these drums playing. And so I went in there, it was a Pentecostal church, on fire with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and uh, I was just fascinated by the drums. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about music, didn't know how to play the drums. Can't even play them today. <laughs> but I remember going to that church in the third grade, sitting on the front row, and I, I remember this pastor talking about gifts and fruits of the Spirit and things like that. And um, I wanted to play the drums so bad I don't know if I was staring at them so hard or what, but one of the guys who was playing them just kind of pointed to me and was just like, come on. <laughs> and I went on the drums and I just started playing the drums, like in the service, to the service, and never touched a drum set in my life. <laughs> and I was hooked on church from that point on. My family grew up Baptist. Uh, all my family sang, and uh, I knew about God. I knew about scriptures and what have you. and. Um, but let me, let, me, let me preface it this way. I knew about religion. Uh, and religion had me knowing things about biblical scripture and you know, having conversation, but no conviction. And so for me, my conviction did not come until later on in life. Um, going, going to church, yes, just going to church and kind of participating and, and being there, but not really being immersed in trying to get this vertical connection to who Christ really is, that did not exist. For me, it was about this horizontal person-to-person -person, um, relationship with people and not necessarily the creator. Um, and for me, my uh, transformation was very unorthodox. Uh, my lifestyle was very different. Um, I used to be a gangster in the streets. That was my whole lifestyle. That was the life that I lived. Um, and so for me, I had a radical transformation when it came to Christ. Uh, and the Lord had spoke to me in such a profound way um, when I was really immersed in the culture of a gangster and a hustler type mentality and lifestyle. And God had spoke to me and simply just said, hey, are you happy? And it was at that moment that I had a true conversion and true transformation and really started to understand uh, who Christ was and what that voice was. And so for me, that allowed me to do a 180 and really start serving the Lord and giving my life to Christ. And, uh, and at that time, the Lord spoke to me about my relationship with Mariah 
and told me that I needed to marry her um, and I needed to go into ministry and use my gifts for the Lord and all of that. And so that's kind of, you know, what I did with that and, and just been immersed in youth culture and understanding youth culture and uh, really drawing them to Christ in a way in which that they can relate to and that they can understand because I was just one of those young men who was, who was out there and I understood church culture and I understand the true disconnection between church culture and a relationship with Christ and so I just wanted to be able to um, use that experience and help others with it and God just kind of brought it all full circle. Here's what I really appreciate about what you guys have shared. You, you see your family life, you see your work life, you see your life in service to Christ, uh, your present, your future, your, your money. It's all integrated into a vision to, to, to serve people. What you said, we want to serve people. Let's, Let's do what we can with all that we have in, in service to the Lord and in service to people. What is the future? You know, we were talking a little bit about, about this last night, Corey. I really appreciated what you were saying. Um, what do you see as the future for the Man Up Club? And, and really, what is your vision? Uh, and obviously, Mariah, too. What, what, do you, what do you see as... The future for the Twin Cities, the future for the Man Up Club, and, and what Christians and churches and, and organizations need to be doing uh, to move forward. So let me back up a, a just, just a little bit and then roll into that question. So the Man Up Club, is, is, first of all, it's a mentor leadership organization for African-American males uh, between the ages of 12 and 24. And um, we mentor in four areas within the Man Up Club, which is life skills, social skills, academic discipline, and civic responsibility, with three main goals in the organization, which is to get young men to graduate from high school, uh, to keep them out of the prison pipeline, and to get them to go on to graduate um, from college and to get a trade after high, or, or get a trade after high school. Um, so the goal with the Man Up Club is to become a national organization that operates in every inner city across America. That's the vision that I see every day. Uh, it's something that is desperately needed when it comes to the development uh, of young men. I think that it's an organization that has to be partnered with the church because everything that we do in the Man Up Club is based on biblical principles and the biblical foundation. I think that the thing that is missing in America, uh, especially when it comes to African-American males, is a level of spiritual discipleship. I think spiritual discipleship is critical. And for us, the way we do it, we have a different type of model under which we um, disciple young men. Typically, what happens is the, 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 the format is to, is to uh, hear the word, read the word, study the word, and then do and follow the word. But if you look at that model, oftentimes a lot of young people fail with that model. And we're living in a society where young people, when they fail, they don't want to return to failure. They run from that. 
And so that makes them end up ultimately running from discipleship and running from Christ because they cannot live the lifestyle. And I was a product of that because when I looked at ministers and pastors, I felt like that that was a standard and a stature that I could never live up to under no circumstances. And it almost deterred me from ministry and not wanted to even engage in it whatsoever. And so I understand that when it comes to young people and young men. And so what, I, what we wanted to do was we wanted to build models that were based on biblical principles where we would demonstrate those biblical principles before we taught them. And then we would go back and teach the lesson after they had done the practice so that when, they, so when we talked about it, they would already have a connection point and be halfway down the path. And so that's how we, we do discipleship. So for us, our goal is to have the Man Up Club in every inner city across America. We believe that uh, it's important for uh, y young men to get a practical approach to mentorship where they're learning these life skills and things like that, but also be able to have a spiritual uh, foundation. Uh, when you look at many churches in the inner city, they don't really have youth groups. I think th there's more youth in here than I've seen in a church in a long time. <laughs> so you guys should be extremely proud of, proud of that. But our goal is how do, how do we get them the gospel? And so that's why we've developed the Man Up Club and we've developed the God Flow Festival because the God Flow Festival that we have, which is an annual event, we use that to spiritually evangelize and impact, impact the culture. And so we partner that with the Man Up Club and our goal is to put that on tour so that we can go into these inner cities and we can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to young people who otherwise wouldn't be at church. And we can partner with other local churches to be able to offer them uh, practical uh, applications so that they can survive in life. So that those are just a couple of things that I believe in regards to specifically to the Man Up Club as far as the impact um, and our goals as far as what we should be doing um, to impact the kingdom of God. Brian, I'd like to hear some perspective that you have. And we've talked about um, young men. What is your perspective on, on young women and the needs of, of young women? Equally as great. Um, equally as great. Uh, it, it's an interesting uh, time in history, um, interesting time in our cities that all of us have, have lived through um, last year. Obviously, all things COVID-related, but not only that, one of our focuses in our equity division of, of Eden and then also with Man Up uh, is the civic, some of the civic unrest um, that we've all had to, to weather along with the rest of the world last year uh, and even unfortunately into this year, uh, what, what continues to happen. Um, young females, uh, young females of color, um, there is still a sense of uh, need and be, they need to belong. Um, they need the discipleship uh, and the lessons of old uh, that they know and have heard, but unfortunately don't respect the way that many of us in here, at least the parent, uh, parents in the room, were raised to grow up and respect. Um, the Bible talks about good instruction falling upon deaf ears uh, in many scriptures. Many of our young women today that... Um, um, tends to be uh, their case as well. There are organizations in the city uh, that reach out to, to those women as well. 
Interestingly enough, one of uh, Corey's uh, uh, family members and cousin, a good friend of mine as well, also by family but just a friend, does this very same work in the city that we met in, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. I think it's called Woman Up. Uh, is her program. It's called Woman Up in Louisville, Kentucky. And she works with uh, middle school to high school girls um, of color. Same deal, social skills, life skills, um, some discipline, some etiquette uh, of what it means to be a lady. Um, and we're, we're missing that. We need so much more of that right now. Does she have a national vision for that organization as well? She hadn't expressed it to me. I've been trying to get her to move here to start <laughs> to, to help balance out some of what I do. I'm, I'm working yeah, on it. It seems like it could be a collaborative effort yeah, there. Yeah, I'm working on it. Um, before we do the open up to Q&A here, um, and I hope somebody asks you a question about uh, your career as a hip hop artist. <laughs> Uh, I'm just trying to, how does all that fit in? <laughs> but one of the things, um, so, uh, Corey, you've used a, a phrase um, that has, has really struck with me, and that has been, um, you know, it's just since I started, you know, Carl Nelson invited me into one of those panels that you were participating in, and, you know, Corey uses this phrase, he says, um, he's bringing some artists into this Godflow event, and you obviously uh, have this, this you, you know the streets, you know the streets. And uh, I, think, I think everybody in the church knows that um, I'm about as far away as I, you can get as a, as, a, as a leader, as a Christian leader from, quote, knowing the streets. Uh, my oldest son tells me that all the time, Dad, you don't know the streets. <laughs> and... Um, he thinks he knows the streets, but anyway, um, what I what I've really appreciated, just as I've I've, I've gotten to know uh, Corey and Mariah and their their organizations, is that um, there's just a there's a love for Jesus Christ, there's a sensitive there's a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, there's a, a gentleness and a passion for the things of God. And, and just to, to know that uh, Jesus' prayers, that his people would be unified, unified in the truth, unified in mission, unified in spirit. Um, and it's, and I, think it's, I think it's our love for Jesus and our love for the cities, our love for people, that, that the spirit uses to, to bring us all together into collaborative efforts. So I'm just really thankful for that and thankful for for the two of you and for what, what you guys are doing. And um, just really wanted to express that to the Lord and give him thanks and praise. So anyway, thank you. All right, well, you all, uh, well, if you're, a, if you're a guest today for the first time, uh, we usually take a little bit of time to answer any questions, make any comments uh, after our sermons. We don't do very many of these panels. I think our last panel that we did was two summers ago with, uh, with Warren Watson when we were doing that series on on counseling and, and psychology. That was all on Zoom, though. So we've got some time here. If you have any questions or comments for Mariah or Corey, um, we've got the time. So, Dale. And speak up as loud as you can.
Yeah, that's actually a great question. Um, I gave you guys the uh, PG-13 version <laughs> of my conversion, and I'll continue to keep that PG-13. But I will tell you that there was a process, and it was a long, it was a long process um, for um, my development. Um, when, I, when I first heard the voice of the Lord, um, he immediately called me out. And so I had, so I, I accumulated a lot of things in that life that I had to cut, like immediately. So I took a lot of financial losses. I took a lot of social losses. Um, and as a matter of fact, when the Holy Spirit had moved on me, it was probably about, about 1.30 in the morning. And um, at about 5.30 a.m., and this was in California, I was packing my bags to catch a flight back to Minnesota. Uh, where Mariah was, um, and when I and when I made that transition, the Lord sat me down and put me in an isolated place for a year. Um, life and death is in the power of the tongue, and so you can either speak life to people or you can speak death. And for me, when I was doing hip hop music, I was speaking death. We're talking about sex, money, greed, and murder, and misogyny, and everything else that you can think of. And that's what we pushed, and that's what we promoted, and, that's, and, and more importantly, that's what we financed. We financed that vision, and we financed that vision with an extreme amount of money that the Lord made me cut. And so when I had my conversion, he sat me down, isolated me in Minnesota. I didn't even want to go anywhere outside for a whole year. All I wanted to do was sit in the house and read the Word of God and get an understanding of what the word of God was. And I didn't even want to listen to hip hop music at all. I couldn't even stand it. The minute that it would come on, I, the, the lyrics, I would cringe because it just totally disturbed my spirit. And one day when I was praying, the Lord had spoke to me and said, hey, listen, you have been using the gifts that I've given you for the kingdom of darkness to build Satan's kingdom. And, and basically what he was said was, I want you to take your gifts and talents and I want you to use them for me. And I want you to build my kingdom. Now, I'm a pioneer of Christian hip-hop music, so pioneer means that you're a trailblazer. So you have to create a path that hasn't been created. So when God had dropped this in my spirit that, yes, you're supposed to do hip-hop, you're supposed to do evangelism through it, and yes, it does align with my word, the first critics that I received was from the church because it was like, how do you do hip hop and the gospel? Because they seem so polar opposite. But the connection point was Jesus Christ. And so I found my time as a trailblazer trying to explain to gatekeepers and senior pastors and clergy of how the word of God lined up with the culture of hip hop and how God could use the word to infuse into the culture. And that the, the, met, the methodology under which you spread the gospel can be through any means as long as the message doesn't change of salvation and uplifting Christ. And so that's basically what my conversion was. Is I, he put me on lockdown for a long time and I couldn't do the things that I used to do. And I had to be seasoned and, 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 and had to grow up in Christ. And I couldn't take spiritual advice from everybody. 
And it wasn't until that time that, when I, that I started to go out and even talk about Jesus Christ because I wanted to make sure that if I went out to spread the gospel that I wouldn't get caught back up into my old lifestyle. Sure. So the Man Up Club, the young men in our program, they come through a multiplicity of ways that you can, like anyone can recommend a young man to the program. So they come through, through personal referrals. They come through uh, referrals from school administrations or teachers. They can come through referrals from pastors or just people in the community. Our goal is just to reach young men by, by any means necessary and, and to be able to offer them the services uh, that we have. We don't have... We don't have like a particular approach. We do a, a lot of uh, marketing and promoting uh, through social media. And we also do onboarding and recruiting uh, through open houses and things like that. And so we, we'll have those set re uh, recruiting times throughout the year. But as, as long as we have a young man that comes up to us any day of the week and wants to be a part of what we're doing, we're going to embrace him. And I would say to that as well, yes, mamas do drop the boys off. Like <laughs> help him. Help him. Please, um, but with respect to the um, some of the uh, pre-orientation timelines throughout the year, if I can speak to that, normally it's either the beginning of summer because we know that our young people get restless over the summer. Uh, so that May, June timeline, and then again it corresponds with school starts. So there's, there's some type, uh, sometimes a fall session, and then a new, a light intake during the spring. So fall, spring, beginning of summer, but we never close the doors. If there's a young man or young individual that needs uh, help and that just pops up, that is gonna stay committed and abide by the um, uh, organizational structure of the program, then he is always welcome, absolutely. That's one of the things that I appreciated at the, at the gala. So they have a gala at the end of every year. Uh, so uh, we went to that and uh, I appreciated those moms that got up and gave some testimony about what they had seen in their, in their sons about the changes that they had experienced by going through your program. That was really, really cool. Yeah. Meredith, over here. Absolutely. I did leave that part of the story off a little bit, didn't I? Um, just, just with respect to um, having to do things in the traditional orthodox way, um, showing up eight to five, Corey very quickly disclaimed to me when we were dating, I am not your nine to five guy. If you need a nine to five guy, I'm not him, nor will I ever be him. Um, I will work. I will serve, but I do it on, on my own terms and my own way. Um, another of the, the unorthodox um, kind of components of it is, and it, it kind of ties into, uh, Corey, your story of uh, when he's talking about how he was in this lifestyle, um, kind of gangsterish. I don't say gangster, I say gangsterish, just a little bit, because I recognize the good in him. Um, even during those times, our early dating years, I recognize a lot of his qualities and traits. Um, they, say, they say girls marry their daddies. 
uh, is a, a often saying, and I recognize a lot of the goodness in him. I recognize the God in him, uh, whether or not he was living in Christ at that time or not. Uh, and so his conversion was, I think, more of a coming home or coming back to Christ than it was a, a, a true full conversion. And all of the um, areas and goals and things that we had talked about in our own different languages as we're trying to kind of figure out what our common language is, was illuminated, better stapled, a little bit, it was eased uh, by understanding and, and coming into uh, connection with Christ and our own uh, personal understandings. A lot of what he and I were saying um, uh, laterally or horizontally, the connection was made vertically as we, as he made the commitment to go into marriage, as we made the commitment to jointly serve. He's always been the lead and the visionary. I am perfectly happy riding co-seat, co-pilot, co-chair. Um, it takes a little bit of that burden to really go out and lead, lead off. That's not my gifting. Um, it's not my talent in that particular uh, region of ministry, but to support, to help, to plug in where I fit in, uh, to tie up some of the loose ends, uh, to be the back of the house person that's making sure everything's connected so we can have sound and lights and action. That's kind of my thing. I, 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 get, I find great joy in that. So. I'll uh, follow up really quick on that and, and, and talk about this approach to um, just, I, I, let me just, make up a term, new school production. Um, and what I mean by that is, so Mariah talked about the, the nine to five, and oftentimes you, if you hear people say, well, you know, I don't, I don't wanna work a nine to five or this, that, and the other, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I believe that, because, because it's not about the nine to five, because that's eight hours. I find myself working 16 hours. Uh, because when you're, when you're building something, you have to invest in that, and you have to cultivate that, and you have to develop it, and you have to deliver it, and you're the one that's responsible for it, whether it succeeds or whether it fails. And so I just believe that, and this is one of the things that we teach the young men, old school principle, but still applies today, that will get you through no matter what type of structure you do, but say what you mean, and mean what you say and do what you say you're gonna do. And if you give somebody your word, you follow through on your word, and you don't make excuses. If that's what you live by, it's not necessarily about the nine to five, it's about your follow through. And I would submit to you today that a lot of young people think that way, and it's really about the productivity. Produce it, make it happen, put in the time that it takes to get it developed so that it becomes a reality and don't box yourself into a certain time of working on that particular thing. Because if it's God-driven, then he's gonna download it to you and it may not be between nine, uh, nine and five. You may have to get up at any time of the night and start working on what it is that he's given you to do. And ultimately understanding that is something that you have to deliver to the people. You think about Noah and the ark. You cannot, you make me believe that he done that between nine and five. He had to get that ark done because he had a vision from the Lord that he had to get out. And I believe that when you have a God-given focus, it's the Holy Spirit that just pushes you to get it done regardless of how long it may take. And I believe that God will give you the resources that you need to connect with other people in human capacity and the kingdom to get it done. Amen. Got time for one more question.
Sure, absolutely. So for example, part of our curriculum, when we meet with the Man Up Club, one of the things that we do is we provide a meal to our young men. We always provide meals. We've done that from 2012 when we first started up, up until now. And I would always bring food after school. Um, and so we would formalize our meals. So when I grew up, my grandmother would make us get up at five o'clock in the morning, regardless of whether it was a Saturday or not, you got up at 5 a.m. And she would always cook breakfast. And we would always come to the table and we would eat breakfast together. And then we would go about our day. Um, there's something important and significant about coming to the table to share a meal. There's so many things that come out from that through a conversation. So we incorporated that into the Man Up Club as a part of our program. When we first started doing that, the young men would come to the table and we would have food and everybody would just go for broke. they go for whatever, they, they just go and they get four or five, six pieces of pizza, didn't care about the next person that was beside them. And by the time we set the pizza down, it was gone and half the guys didn't get none and other guys was already <laughs> full. So what we decided to do was we said, listen, uh, I, I put food on the table again and the guys who rushed to make their plate, I waited until they made it. And right when they was getting ready to put the food in their mouth, I said, stop, put it back down. The plate that you just made yourself, give it to the person that's sitting next to you. It's like, oh, Mr. Dean, why I gotta do that, man? I was ready to eat. No, give it to the next person that's next to you. So they just shove it to the next person. Here, man. <laughs> and so, we adopted that, that when we get food, we don't just consume it for ourselves. We make the next man's plate for them. When we made their plate, they piled it on. When they start making plates for their guys, they start rationing it out. <laughs> Look at the mentality behind that one, right? But we made sure we had enough food to go around. And that's what we always do. So then a young man comes and says, well, Mr. Dean, you know, why, 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 do we, why we do that? It became a habit, it was a practice. And so they, they, they practice that behavior, it becomes a lifestyle. So with that, when they ultimately ask the question, then I can then bring in the scripture. And I can say that it's because we're men of God and we need to learn how to serve our brothers before we serve ourselves. We need to learn how to esteem each other higher than ourselves. We need to be our brother's keeper. These are biblical principles. So now when I start to talk about the Bible, I can go into the Bible and I can point these scriptures out and then I can point to a practical and relevant and lifestyle application of what they're reading. And then the Bible becomes life to them and it comes off the page and, and they understand, okay, how many more things are in this Bible? And for, furthermore, Mr. Dean, how many other things you got us doing already that's in this Bible? <laughs> and so, that, so, so then it becomes practical application and then they get to understand it. And then some of the guys, okay, learning the word of God is not so bad and it, it really does, the scriptures really do apply to my life. That's just one example among many. It's interesting that... Uh... Paul had the same challenge in the Corinthian church. So the, some people would show up and eat all the food, and the rest would show up and there wouldn't be anything left, you know? But it's amazing, like you said, uh, 
how much equipping and training and life, real life situations happen in the context of a shared meal. You know, we, um, we, the, our kids bring uh, friends over, um, and this is, we've seen this and have heard this for years. Um, I remember an instance, this was, I think our, our, our oldest son, I think was in maybe third or fourth grade at the time. Um, this is when we were living down in Iowa. Um, he invited his friend over, we're having dinner, and this friend said, you know, this is the, we were serving meatloaf. He says, this is the first time I've done this. I'm like, this is the first time you've had meatloaf? No, this is the first time I've sat down and had dinner as a family. And, that, and, that, and our kids have continued to say, you know, it's, it's unusual what we do as a family to sit down and have a meal you know, even just three or four times a week, you know, so there's, and there's a, so it makes you think, um, you know, when the Lord Jesus calls us to come and share a meal together in the Lord's Supper, what, uh, what he's got going on from a discipleship standpoint and a family building standpoint in that. So anyway, as we close, um, I have, the, the Man Up Club has a chant or a motto could you, t- could you do that for us, Corey, as we close here? Yeah, I, w- I want everybody to hear it. I think it's just incredible. Yeah, we can do that. Chris, Chris, you get yourself prepared. We guys got one man up member in the room. Okay. Do <laughs> <laughs> you to come and do it? All right. <laughs> uh, and he may, he may know it by heart, or if you got to get your phone out, it's cool. I won't penalize you for not memorizing <laughs> it. Uh, but before he does that, let me, let me say this with all sincerity. Uh, George, I really do appreciate you and your church and reaching out to us um, and not having a hidden agenda and strictly being kingdom focused um, to see the advancement of the gospel one of the things that I really want to make sure that we pinpoint is that when it comes to racial issues in the church, we have to be the leaders of that. And, we, and the only thing that kills racism is the love of Christ. Regardless of what our differences might be, whether they're political, economic, geographical, or what have you, there has, in in order to do away with racism, there has to be this underlining kinship and connection and fellowship that can only be relied on through Christ Jesus. He is the common denominator that connects us all. And I am very careful about who we align ourselves with when it comes to serving our young men. Everybody does not have the right intentions or the right motives. And I have to be careful of that because I serve a particular demographic of young men who have been hurt, depressed, abused, face tremendous amounts of trauma, who are on the verges of committing suicide, and who can easily be a walk-in killer themselves. And 
if I put them around the wrong people or connect them to the wrong people, it makes my job that much harder. But I wanted to say to you, I appreciate you because of the support that you give us, because of your um, commitment to us. And I just wanted to let you know how much we appreciate you and your church for what you do. I think that that is what the advancement of the kingdom is to be about. And not to be able to shy away from hard conversations and to understand that there are differences between black and white people and minorities and the majority. There are differences. Many times you'll have people who will say, oh, there's no difference. We all, we all got the same color blood. Yeah, yeah, there's differences. There's so many differences. But that's what it's about. A lot of times we run from the very problem that we're supposed to be embracing. And it's okay to embrace those differences. So it's okay to talk about what's different. It's also okay to talk about what's uncomfortable. I'm sure the conversations that you have in your household are not the same conversations that I have in my household. But the bottom line is that we're, we both submit ourselves to the teachings of Christ. Amen. And that's what's important. And the more that I get to know about you and your culture and your people and the way in which you think and the way in which you process, even from a historical perspective, I think that that's what breaks the backbone of the enemy. And I just wanted to commend you and say thank you for your support and for your church and your congregation and what you all, how you all have embraced us, me and my family and our organization and supported us. I just wanted to tell you thank you and we really enjoy partnering with you. And thank we're you, excited sir. to continue to work with you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Let's hear it, man. <laughs> yeah. So, All right, so you got to make them stand. You got you yeah. to treat them like the Man Up Club. So um, normally when we meet for the Man Up Club, everybody stands up, and then one of our members just does this chant, and then everybody else repeats. So I'm going to do it so if you guys could stand up. Oh, all right. <laughs> I will respect myself. I will respect myself. I will treat others with the utmost respect. I will treat others with the utmost respect. I will look people in the eye when I speak. I will look people in the eye when I speak. I am intelligent. I am intelligent. I will graduate. I will graduate. I will be on time. I will be on time. I will not make excuses for my shortcomings or my behaviors. I will not make excuses for my shortcoming or my behaviors. I will respect authority. I will respect authority. I expect no handouts. I expect no handouts. I know my value. I know my value. Man up men, we set the trend for our community. Man up men, we set the trend for our community. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you yeah. All right, we'll close with, uh, with worship.